Welcome to 3Talk, coaching conversations for modern day living. With backgrounds in business, marketing and teaching, Susie, Lucia and Fleur bring you tips and tools to help you live the life you want to live. 3Talk, transforming lives for the better. Welcome back to 3Talk. Last week we did about how to stop worrying part one. This week we're going to do part two. So five more tips about how to stop worrying. So people get stuck in their heads all the time, some of us more than others. Although it's lovely to ponder life and inquire about yourself, the problem is that the majority of our thoughts are not so upbeat. When we're in mind-wandering mode, aka in your head, thoughts usually turn to what bills are due, why your partner was annoying last night, why a co-worker took credit for your work today, why you reacted in a particular way to a family member, and so on. And funnily, At times like this, when we're not focused on anything in particular, the brain's default mode network is on, which means that the brain literally defaults to this kind of worry-based thinking much of the time. When your mind is wandering in any direction from what you're doing, you're a lot less likely to be feeling happy. One Harvard study a few years ago used a specially designed iPhone app to query people about what they were doing at random times throughout the day, whether they were thinking about the tasks or not, and how happy, unhappy they were. The verdict was clear and became the title of the paper. A wandering mind is an unhappy mind. So getting out of our heads and back to the present is the key. How to do this has been the subject of psychologists' debates for centuries and philosophic debate for even longer. What do you think, Lucia? I think it's a mesmerizing thing to be looking at isn't it because quite frequently we hear the terms daydreaming and how our minds just go off like you know to just think or or dream as the term says daydreaming Uh, so for me it is quite striking to hear that most of the time is actually our brain returning to that sort of worry-based zone which to me, for example, feels a bit uh, far-fetched because I am, and, but this is me being aware of myself, I know that I normally go more into the sort of daydreaming, less pretend, I'm a princess living in a castle sort of thing. But it is true. And most of the time when you talk to family, friends, clients, this is something that is recurring. Now, more than ever, is the time that we should be focusing on how we can stop that talk, how we can stop worrying, as we were saying, and what are the best ways of doing this. So very timely and uh, perfect content. Yeah, I think it's that thing, isn't it? We can use our imagination to create problems or create solutions. But when you're more in the moment, you're less going down that worry brain. You're not thinking backwards. You're not thinking forwards. You're just being in that moment about what you can do to make your life better or to think in a more strategic way. So step six, ask your brain questions. Do not focus on the problems. So I have a friend who struggled always seeing the negativity in everything. We figured out her brain was just wired as a critical thinker. She was very analytical and that can be a good thing. She just had to work on reminding herself that an opportunity for improvement is not a criticism. Something can be not the way she imagined it and not be wrong. If you're a critical sort of analytical thinker, 
Taylor Klaus says, recognize that you're likely to have the critical thought first, but practice redirecting those thoughts by asking yourself, what else is also true about this situation, dilemma, person? Asking a question immediately gets your brain looking for answers. If you look for the problems, your brain will shut down, as will keep you safe. Dr. Tara Swart, a neuroscientist and coach, explains this in her book, The Source. She calls it the scarcity mindset instead of the abundancy mindset. So abundancy mindset is everything is possible. Scarcity is going down that worry kind of rabbit hole. Yeah, and I think, you know, that is one of of the biggest keys really is asking questions because whether you like it or not, when somebody asks you something, you feel prompted. You feel the need to come up with a with an answer, whether it's a solution or not, but you feel the need to come up with an answer. So our brain is just wired that way. So whenever you see in a situation and you know that you tend to think on the negative side or you tend to see the not so positive side of things, ask yourself questions because then you will start prompt yourself to look at things in a different way, in a different light. And chances are you're going to be giving yourself a better chance of coming up with better ways or different ways of exploring how to get out of a situation or how to think differently in a situation, which eventually, within practice, can become your go-to place, that default uh, way of thinking. Like We know that whenever you keep at something for 21 days, that becomes a habit if you keep at it for 90 days then that's when your neural path starts getting new connections and so becomes the norm. So I would say even if at first these look like something quite challenging, it looks like something that you think you're not going to be able to do it, just give yourself this tip and think it's only 21 days. It's only three weeks. I can try this for three weeks. So that goes to number seven and I call it the GFL solution. No, that is totally made up by me. (laughs) The G is for grateful. The F is for what you focus on and the L is what you're letting go of. So when you first wake up, it's easy to start thinking about all the stuff you have to get done that day or complain about how the kids kept you up all night. Instead of letting your head go to these negative places, I prefer to plan the night before. So at the end of each night, I journal about my day. This helps me to look over patterns so I don't repeat in the future. Anything reoccurring highlights that this is an area that needs further readdressing. The author of Happiness Equation, Neil Pusricha, I don't know if I pronounced that right, uh, is a New York Times bestseller, recommends doing this. So the three things you do are you write down one thing that you're grateful for. Number two is one thing that you will focus on. That's where the F comes from. And the third, the L, one thing you'll let go of. Now, I've been doing this since Christmas before bed and found it incredibly helpful because it helps me realize how many great things have been going on in my days. I'm always finding it difficult to mention just one thing. And I completely focus the next day on one thing. So I'm not overwhelmed by loads of things I have to do as there's only one focus. And it also reminds me what I need to let go of. And last night I wrote down, I need to let go of self-doubt. I was grateful for my husband tidying the kitchen and I was going to focus on writing our podcast of course I get more done but the most important things get done first and everything else is a bonus you always think you're winning hence creating that positive energy so the GFL solution is an easy way of just keeping you in that positive 
collaborative mindset instead of, you know, being overwhelmed by all the things that you've got to do. I think it really helps you hone in and bring in the attention to one thing at a time, which, you know, we've always said, if you want to be successful at something, try one step at a time. If you try to do too many things at once, chances are you're going to fail at some. So I think this is a perfect example. Focus on each one of the things that you want to either be focusing on, that you're grateful for, or that you know that you need to let go of, and then that becomes your focus and your attention for the day after. And I think it's a great point, Flo, what you said about doing it at night because it does two things: it lets you go to bed at peace because you kind of offloaded everything and you've brought that positive attitude by saying this is what I'm grateful for. But it also um, it allows you to wake up in the morning having clarity on what you're about to do with the day. So I think doing that simple step, which could take you, what, 10 minutes, something like that, can really set you up for a really good night and for a great morning. Yeah, I found it so useful and it's just so simple. Simple things work. I like the kiss simple, isn't it? Keep it simple, stupid. And so it's a really simple but effective solution, which leads us on to number eight. Detox from stuff that makes you sad. Now, we're not suggesting that you live in a hole or pretend that strife and tragedy doesn't exist. But until we can build up some immunity to the negativity that the evening news can deliver, take a break from it. If it's Facebook that's getting you down, because you're thinking, why does everybody else look so darn happy? And why is everyone posting articles that I don't agree with? Then suspend your account and have a break from it. Resist, resist the urge to read the terrible details of life. If you're in that kind of negative mindset, then it's good to keep yourself away from it for a while. Yeah, because let's remember that, you know, again, the way that we are wired, the way that our brain works is going to look for facts supporting what you already believe in. So if you're having a negative day or if you're thinking as yourself as less than somebody else, you're going to be actively looking for proof that that is the truth. And in this day and age when social media is everywhere and people posting content that could or could not be true, but, you know, shows that picture perfect reality that you want for yourself can be a very easy media for you to keep feeding this feeling so although it might seem counterintuitive or challenging because it is an addictive tool and you find yourself being there constantly taking a break from that can actively help you overcome that sadness and start looking for better ways in which you can appreciate yourself I would say so I think you know It is a tough one and one that not many people will be inclined to try or agree with. Uh, But I do think it is one of the most powerful and effective things that you could do. Yeah, it's like looking for the good, isn't it? It's like when you're pregnant, you always see pregnant women because you're looking for it. So if you're looking for things that are doom and gloom, you will find them. Mm -hmm. So That leads us to number nine, deactivate the me centers of your brain by meditating. There's almost no mental practice that has more research behind it than meditation. Study from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, UCL, and Stanford, to name a few, are showing the effects of meditation training on brain function and brain structure. But but among its more striking benefits, meditation seems to deactivate the me centers of the brain, the brain center where we're having thoughts related to the self. 
self-referential thoughts. In fact, the medial prefrontal cortex, or just the frontal cortex, is an area that's on when we're having these thoughts. And meditation has been shown to quiet activity in this area of the brain. In fact, experienced meditators' brains are also shown to to co-activate areas involved in self-monitoring, suggesting that the brain may always be on the lookout for me-centered faults, ready to bring them back to the present moment just as fast. Of course, meditating has also been shown to help treat other related mental health issues like depression, addiction, anxiety, and attention deficit disorders, as well as to improve concentration, attention, and cognitive performance. So what I'm saying is give it a try. Start with sitting and focusing on your breath for five minutes. And it's like breathing. It's natural for the mind to wander. So if your mind's wandering, that is normal. It doesn't mean you can't meditate. Just observe that wandering with a sense of curiosity and pull it back to your focus. That part, the pulling back again and again, is really the heart of the practice. And it's called a practice. It's like when you first learn to walk, you have to practice. You first learn to drive a car. You couldn't do it overnight. So it's not something you just can do. You just have to practice it. I can feel so low on energy, worrying and worrying, which I call my chimp mind. And as soon as I sit in silence, afterwards, I'm a different person. And that's because I've gone from my reactive brain to my kind of logical part of my brain. I'm energized. I can go back to thinking logically. I can make conscious decisions. Even my children are saying, mommy, I think you need to meditate because they know I'm much calmer after. So they even see the benefits. So hopefully they will be sitting in silence when they're older. I'm still trying to get them to sit in silence now. I don't think they're at that point. (laughs) But I'm hopeful that I will rub off on them and they will see the benefits because they they know the benefits for me are clear. Good advice from your wise children, Fleur. (laughs) Definitely leading by example there. Um, I would say because, you know, meditation is always... Well, I find it like a controversial tool, like is the one that is known and then everybody knows how good it can be for you. But there's also so many people that find it challenging because I think we all come at it thinking that we need to be able to switch off our brains and just sit in silence and appreciate the moment we're living. Yet when you actually sit down and your brain starts with all that chatter you feel like you're failing or you're not doing it right. So I think the one thing to say about this loud and clear is that there is no right or wrong way of meditating. Everybody is different. Everybody has a different skill set. Everybody, you know, you can't compare yourself initiating this practice to somebody that has been doing it for years. Obviously, you are going to be at different levels. So as you said, I think the important thing is just step by step Try it one day for five minutes. And yes, you're going to have chatter. Just let it pass. Don't focus on that. I think that's going to be the key thing is until your brain has learned how to behave or do this practice, these things are going to happen. It's like going to the gym, right? Nobody can lift 10 kilos straight away. You might start with uh, half or one. Fantastic. Just keep at it until you can manage to lift 500 Meditation goes in the same way. And I do think that the benefits of that and being able to at least be at peace and at quiet with yourself do have so many beneficial effects that even if you have tried it for a week, you're going to start seeing it. And hopefully it will encourage you to carry on doing it. 
Yeah, and we've kind of talked about the neuroscience and the biological effects, but it also really helps you to plug into the true essence of who you actually are. You are more than just your thoughts. So letting them go is so important. And I think we've said in the podcast before, you know, there's so many apps out there that can help you. There's Headspace, there's Calm. You can just go on YouTube and put in Yoga Nidra. These are ways of supporting you to sit in silence and calm that mind. And that is a great way to start. And if you're like me, you can go and do a mindfulness course, which is an eight-week course, two hours a week, which was incredibly helpful. So, you know, there's lots of ways of helping your practice. Now, this is a controversial one, number 10. Be slightly inappropriate. I'm quite good at this. I'm quite good at... Yeah, I just, I like to have real conversations. So I will, you know, ask those questions that some people probably wouldn't ask. So this may be the best method of all, though it's easier said than done. While it may not be scientifically proven, you've surely witnessed it in action many times. When someone asks you a question that's a little too personal, you may have noticed that after the initial surprise, it actually feels good to answer it because it opens up the conversation to another level. The truth is that most of us actually want to be more open and connected with one another. We don't want this small talk about the weather, but just don't know how to go about it. Because we're so ingrained in us not to offend anyone, not to overshare, that we end up being too conservative. Now, Gretchen Rubin, the author of The Happiness Project, put it well in her article about small talk, when she noticed that when people are a little too inquiring, it actually doesn't put others off, it opens them up. She says, I can't use this strategy myself, <laughs> but because I don't have the ne- because she says she doesn't have the necessary gumption, but her husband is a master at it. Over and over, I hear him ask a question that seems slightly too prying or too cheeky, and I feel a wifely annoyance. But then I see that that person to whom he's talking isn't offended. If anything, that person seems intrigued and flattered by his interest. And I think it helps you to connect and gets you out of your worrying because you're actually interested in the answer. Both parties are more engaged and present. What do you think, Lucia? Oh, I do love this one. And I agree. I mean, I am a person that perhaps for because of my uh, cultural background, I think I've said it before, I'm from Spain, a place where we tend to be quite open. We're used to socialise and and be very chatty about everything in life. Uh, Obviously, we do have some taboos like every culture, but we tend to be that open-minded and open-hearted and we just go and say things. So that for me has always been one of the things that kind of became my go-to. Like I just ask questions because I am curious. And I think that is the beauty of this step is one, you stay alert and make sure that you're paying attention to the person that you're with. Generally, obviously, do not pretend or fake these questions. Obviously, that's going to come across. But also on the receiving end, I think it does show that you care, that you are curious in any shape or form of what that person might be thinking or wanting or feeling. And it's something so amazing of knowing that the person that is in front of you is caring about you or being intrigued by you in that moment in time, that immediately it causes that reaction of being open and openness. And true connections, true friendships are built on this. Um, And I think this is something very, very powerful. I think, uh, you know, we are 
are we are high advocates of true connections and meaningful connections and I think that's the way people work we are wired to become and be part of a tribe so being able to see this step happening is one of the perhaps keys to pretty much everything in life but one of them being the worry because it allows you to step out of your of your zone and be part of something greater than you if that makes sense yeah it's coming out of your comfort zone isn't it by asking a little bit more of a challenging question but yeah you're you're surprised yourself you'll get those conversations where you can really engage and enjoy the conversation instead of those bleak kind of not interested questions because you're not really interested in the answer so no more worrying folks thanks so much for listening to us for one more week we would just like to say that we are still taking bookings for the retreat if you want to book please get in contact soon because we've only got two spaces left i can't believe how quickly it's booked out so do contact us if you want a space if not we'll put you on the waiting list if we've booked but please keep booking thanks for your support and don't forget to leave us a comment or a review subscribe share the love and thank you for helping us keep going have a great week not a worrying week and see you next time much love Mm